North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Here we go. This is good stuff, man. We have lots of reason to celebrate. We have lots of reasons to be excited today. It is exciting to have the kids. And so, kids, we are so glad to have you in here with us, down here leading worship connecting with God, going after Him. It's exciting to know that there are people that are going to go public with their faith today. Now, now this isn't the moment where people are committing their life to Jesus. All of those who are being baptized have already done that. They've already accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. This is just the celebration. This is just the party. This is when they get to acknowledge in front of everybody that Jesus is their one and only. And a lot of times we look at baptism almost like a wedding ring, saying, I am am going to publicly commit my life forever and ever to Jesus. And so we're really, really excited about that. We're excited about what God is doing in our children's ministry, in our North Shore kids, in our tiny travelers. And we're really excited because um, I, I don't believe that, that we view our kids' ministry as babysitting, as just keeping the kids quiet so that we can come up here and do spiritual work in the sanctuary. No, what God does in the gym, what God does upstairs in the tiny travelers is significant. And the Holy Spirit is calling your kids to faithfulness, to follow him from this day point and forever. We pray almost every time we do a baby blessing. We pray this prayer that there would never be a season in this child's life that they are in rebellion to you, God. We pray this over our kids and we fully reject this notion that all kids have to go through a season of rebellion. They have to run from God. They have to run from the church. They have to run from their parents for a season so that then they can come back. No, we fully reject that because we believe that when God calls his children to himself, no matter how old they are, that call is for a lifetime. And we ask God to solidify that in their hearts and in their lives every day. And so we pray that over you guys, that the decisions that you make in children's church would last until for all of eternity. And so we are so excited for what God is going to do in your future, in your generation, and we just want to love on you and encourage you guys. Let's love on them a little bit. We believe in them. So good. We're so happy that you guys are here with us today. We're in a series that we're calling Unshakable, and we're taking sort of our foundational scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27, and this is what it says. It says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Only unshakable things will remain. And it's my prayer that this church be built on unshakable things. That we would begin to dream unshakable dreams. That we would pursue unshakable marriage. That, that we would develop unshakable families. And that we would raise unshakable kids. That when they get to that place where everybody else is rebelling and running from God, they are running towards God because they have a foundation built on that which is unshakable. That we... Pray this over them, that we believe this for them and for us, that, that when chaos comes, when fear comes, when discomfort comes, when pressure comes, when trials come, when pain comes, we would be a people that would remain unshakable. From the very oldest to the room, and we won't have you raise your hand. To the very youngest in the room, I'm assuming it's somebody over here, we would be an unshakable people that is anchored anchored in the foundational truth of Jesus Christ. So today I want to talk to you about unshakable beginnings. Everybody say unshakable beginnings. There we go. 
Let's hear it again from this section only. Let me hear you again. One more time. Unshakable beginnings. Let's hear it. That's good, man. That is good stuff. Unshakable beginnings. You know, sometimes the way we start isn't very impressive. Sometimes the way we start isn't very impressive. Now let me ask this group over here. How many of you know how to ride a bike? Raise your hands. Let me see your hands. How many of you know how to bike, ride a bike without training wheels? Let, let me see those hands. Right, raise your hands. Now let me ask this group. How many of you know how to ride a bike without training wheels? Some of you still need help. Some of you 40-year-olds still need to call your dad to come up and hold the seat. Don't let go. Don't let go. Right? So let me go back over here. How many of you guys... The first day that your dad took the training wheels off, how many of you guys crashed? Right? Yeah. How many of you guys got bloody knees and elbows? Okay, now let me, let me ask you real, be honest with me. How many of you maybe cried because of the crash, right? Yeah, they're being honest. Uh, I see some of mine over here, and I know, I know. Now let me ask you guys. How many of you moms and dads bribed them with toys, candies, or some sort of promise of vacation? Some of you are being honest. The rest of you are lying. I get it. I know this is true because I bribed, I bribed mine. When, like, we, we'd buy a toy. We'd set it up on the mantle. If you learn to ride a bike, we'll give you that toy. As if the joy of riding a bike isn't enough, right? We have to bribe them. Because when we start new things, it's really hard. And I remember the crashes and the tears and, and the bloody knees. It, it's, it's hard, but you don't quit. And those of you kids who, who fell and you crashed those first couple of times, you didn't quit and you got better. But sometimes the way we start isn't very impressive. Some of you can remember the first day on your new job. It felt overwhelming. It felt scary. It felt like you were in over your head. You were beyond your ability. Perhaps you weren't very impressive on that very first day. Perhaps you made some mistakes or you thought, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Sometimes it's hard. When we start, sometimes the way we start isn't very impressive. I remember when Abram was born, our first, our oldest son. I remember when he was born and Melissa and I were so excited and, and it was time to go up to the hospital and, and, and we got in the car and we were coming up and I remember the conversation we were having on the way there and, and we get in there and we check in with the nurse and the nurse looks at us and she says, this is your first baby, isn't it? And man, we were so excited about that. We were like, yes, it is. And we, couldn't, we didn't know why she thought or she knew that it was our first baby. Maybe it was just because we were so young and good looking. Come on, somebody, right? Uh, you know, maybe just maybe we just exuded this um, first baby glow about us. And we're like, yeah, it is our first baby. And Melissa said, how did you know that? And, and she said, because only first-time parents bring four suitcases to them with the hospital. <laughs> and we're like, oh, yeah, well, I, we didn't know. I don't, I don't know what to expect here. You know, we've never had a baby before. And, um, and so we go rolling into the hospital like we're checking into a Disney resort with all of our bags and we're surprised that they've identified us as, as first-time babies. But uh, sometimes the way you start isn't very impressive. I remember when Abram was born, and um, uh, they, they, you know, he came, and, and the nurses were cleaning him up, and they did such a good job. And, and they took all of his little measurements and stuff like that. And, and then the nurse uh, handed me Abram, my, my, my child, my only child at the time, for the very first time. 
And uh, she said, here, Dad. And, and I've heard sermons before, and I've heard people talk about this moment, where Dad's this moment where they hold the baby for the first time because, because the baby's growing inside a mom, and mom's kind of learning the baby and feeling the baby the whole time. But this is the first moment that Dad gets to have, like, with this child. And, and I've heard sermons where, where the, the, the pastor or the dad was saying, you know, when I, when I held my child for the very first time, I looked into his eyes, and we had this deep soul connection, and the Spirit of God just overwhelmed me, and I prayed this prayer and it's kind of like this this lion king like rafiki moment da, 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 like this is my child and stuff like that and um i can tell you i did not have that moment not at all in fact it's kind of embarrassing because when the nurse said here you go dad meet your son this is what i said to her i said no 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 i don't know how to hold a baby because I'm, I'm okay with, like, little ones, toddlers that can, like, hold your finger and stuff like that. Hey, you're so cute. But holding a real-life baby, that's a little different. So I said, no, 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 I don't know how to hold a baby. And she said, well, you better learn. And she handed this child to me. And now I have a living, breathing person in my arms. And I'm holding him like this. And, and she didn't hand the nurse. All the nurses did great except this one that handed me the, the baby. Because she didn't say, like, okay, you got to cradle his neck. you got to hold him tight. Like, hold him close. And so she just handed me this child and... And he just stopped in my arms right there, and I'm holding him just like this. This isn't how you're supposed to hold a baby, like with his head out here, but this is how I'm holding him. And so I take him over to Melissa because Melissa wants to see him, and, and, and I do this, and I don't know how to get down there, so I just do this weird little squat thing like this. <laughs> and now my legs are shaking, like they're burning, like, are you good? You met? Okay, good. You know, I'm walking away. And so I go to hand this baby, uh, this baby, it's my son, Abram. <laughs> At that time, he was still just this baby, right? I go to hand this person back to the nurse, and she says, no, 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 you can take him down to the nursery so that she can give him a bath. And I said, I don't think so, you better do that. She said, no, Dad, you need to take him down. And so I, I have him like this, and I make my way down the hall to the nursery like I'm carrying a nuclear bomb. <laughs> really slow. And we have pictures of me walking down the, the hallway like this. And, and when I finally get to the nursery and I hand Abram, my only son, to the nurse for the first time. And she like scoops him up and she flips him around and she does all this stuff to him. I like, I like raise my hands. I'm like, yes, I did it. I'm killing this fatherhood thing. I got this. But, but you know, sometimes the way we start isn't all that impressive. It's just not. Though it's a beginning it's a little shaky at first. First Samuel chapter 16, God speaks to the prophet Samuel, and he says this. He tells Samuel, fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And this is what happens. All of you guys know this, but I'm going to tell your moms and dads here real quick. This is what happens in the Old Testament. God would speak to a prophet, and then the prophet would go speak to the people, telling the people what God said, what God wants for them, what, what the future holds sometimes, and, and really just what God's will for the nation was. And at this particular time, God was speaking to the prophet because he was choosing a different king. There was a king in Israel, and his name was Saul. In fact, Saul started out really good. Saul was big, and Saul was strong, and Saul was handsome, and Saul really, really looked like a king. In fact, when Saul began, he started prophesying, and he was following the Lord, but things began to change, and some of his choices began to change, and then he started doing things that God told him not to do, and God decided, well, it's time for me to identify who the new king is going to be because Saul's kingdom is not going to last because of the decisions that he's making. And so 
God tells Samuel, the prophet, I want you to go to this tiny town called Bethlehem, and you're going to meet a man. His name is Jesse. I'm going to choose one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. Now, God could have told him which son, but he didn't. He just said one of Jesse's sons is going to be the king. So go and find him. And so that's what Samuel does. He goes to Bethlehem, and he goes to Jesse's house. He knocks on the door, and Jesse opens it, and he says, what can I do for you? And, and he says, God told me that one of your sons is going to be the next king, so I don't know which one it is, and so you need to, to bring your, your sons into the room so that we can identify which one of your sons God wants to be the next king. And, and Jesse had to be excited about this, and so he gathers his boys together in a room, and he presents them to the prophet Samuel. And um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 says this, When they arrived, when the sons arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, who was the oldest, and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel, the prophet, looks at the oldest and says, oh man, he looks like a king. And God says, no, no, that's not, that's not the one. And then Abinadab, the second, comes and, and God says, not him either. And then Shemiah comes and God says, not him either. Then the next, then the next, then the next. And God says, no, no, no. And God didn't choose any of these boys. And Jesse's looking around the room confused, and Samuel's looking around the room confused and, and not knowing what's going on because he's sure that God told him that it was Bethlehem, and he's got the right town, and it was Jesse, and he's got the right house, and it was one of his sons, and, and they can't figure out what's going on. And so the prophet looks at Jesse and says, are you sure these are all of your boys? Are, are these all of your sons, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says in verse 11, they're still the youngest. But he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. Verse 13, so as David stood there amongst his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Let me stop there before we go into the rest of the stuff and then go into the baptisms real quick. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day on. I want to talk to you guys for just a second. There are moments in children's church, maybe some of you have gone to youth camp or something, where where. You felt the Lord speak something to your heart. Where you felt the Holy Spirit enter your life. And you know that something is different. I want you to know that when the Spirit of the Lord enters your life, He is with you from that moment on. He is with you. And He will walk with you. And He will go to school with you. And He will, he will stay there in your room at night with you. That the Spirit of the Lord is there so that no matter what you face in life, God is with you and God loves you and God has chosen you. The Spirit of the Lord is there. He's with you. And so that's what happened to David. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day forward. But think about this. When Jesse heard the news that one of his boys was going to be the king, he didn't even think to invite David to the room. He didn't even think to go get David out of the fields and, and come back in because he thought David is too small. David's too little. But that is exactly who God wanted to use. I want you to know something here this morning. And all you guys over here, all you kids, look at me. I want you to know something this morning. Kindergartners, on up. Listen, you are not too small to be used by God. You are not too small to be used by God. Moms, dads, aunts, and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, remember, 
Your children are not too small to be used by God. That God wants to speak to them and through them. And that oftentimes the Holy Spirit's voice is heard far more clear in this generation than it is ours. Let's never look at them and think they are too small. Let us never make the mistake that Jesse said and said, no, too small, too little, too unimportant. We're not even going to invite them to the party. You guys are welcome to the party because we know that God is going to use you powerfully in powerful ways. All of you kids, God wants to use you to show your family, your friends, your teachers, and your neighbors what Jesus is like. So keep looking like Jesus. You guys are awesome. There may be some of you here today that are not sitting in this section, and and you aren't necessarily small in stature or in age, but you feel small. You feel unimportant. You feel like you have nothing to offer. You feel like you're somebody, by, by all accounts, is very, very forgettable. And in, in, in very much overlooked. I want to say something to you too. You are not too small to be used by God. Sometimes the way you start isn't very impressive, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a great anointing for you and a great plan and a great purpose for you. Now I want us to consider another day in David's life. A day in his life that he is most famous for. The, the day that, that we know David really became David. It was the day that, that David went out into the battle and he fought who? Who did he fight? Goliath, the day that David marched down into the valley and fought the giant, Goliath. So listen, think about this. David knew he was going to be king someday. Uh, He had this promise, but Saul was still currently the king. And so what was David to do? Like, how was he preparing? David was just going through his his life. He was just living life, loving God, just making good decisions. And and right now, he was still kind of living at home, running errands for his father. And one day, his dad packs up the cart with some bread and cheese. And he says, I want you to take this cart to the battle where your brothers are and just give it to them to let them know I'm thinking about them. Let them know that I'm loving them and I want them to to do good and be safe and be strong and be well fed. And so that's what David does. He loads up the bread and the cheese and he takes takes him to his brothers, and when he gets to the battle lines, he gets there just in time to see Goliath come marching down into the valley and challenging the Israelite army. And what he was doing, he was marching down in the valley, and he was saying, you guys send out your greatest champion to fight me, and so our our armies don't have to fight. I am the Philistine champion. You send your champion, and we'll fight, and whoever wins, then that army wins, and we don't have to do all of this other fighting. And Day after day after day, David came down and he challenged the Israelites. But the Israelites were scared because Goliath was too big. And none of them would respond to this challenge. But David hears it. And 1 Samuel 17 verse 32 tells us that David says this. David says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. David wasn't even a part of the army. Verse 33, Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. You're too small. You're too little. And he's been a man of war since his youth. Saul said to David, this guy's a warrior. He's a giant. He's a killer. And he's been like this ever since he's been small. You're small now. You're just a shepherd boy. No battle experience whatsoever. But David persisted. And David tells Saul, he said, one day when I was out guarding my dad's sheep, there was a lion that came in. And he took one of the sheep, and I didn't have a sword or, or anything, but I ran after that lion, and I grabbed him, and I killed that lion with no weapons at all, just my bare hands. I killed that lion, and I took that sheep back. There was another day that a bear came, and he took another one of the sheep, probably one of those sheep that was wandering off by himself, right? He grabs that sheep, and, and he starts running away with it, and he said, I didn't have a sword, I didn't have a weapon or anything, but I ran after that bear, and I killed that bear with my bare hands. 
He says, it's not because I'm super strong or because I have all this ability, but because God is with me. And this is what he says. He says, and, and if God was with me with the lion and with the bear, then he'll be with me when I go kill the giant too. And so that's what he tells the king. And he persisted. Verse 37, I'll read it. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So King Saul says, fine, go fight him. And David goes out to meet the giant and all he has is a sling and a few stones and and the spirit of the Lord on him and a promise that he's going to be king. And he goes out and he wins the battle and he throws the rock at the giant, kills him, and Israel wins a great battle that day. And there's another thing that I think is important for you to know this morning. You are not too inexperienced to be used by God. Kids, you are not too inexperienced to be used by God. God can use you. God wants to use you. It doesn't matter if you're young with no experience, and it doesn't matter if you're old with no experience. God wants to use you and will if you let him. God has great plans for you. He doesn't need you to to, um, be awesome to fulfill those plans because God is awesome. And at this point, I'm going to ask all of our baptism candidates, if you guys could just step up from where you are and head out those doors, we're going we're gonna to get ready to uh, uh, enter into that portion of the service in just a second. Our worship team is coming, and so um, we're going to invite all of our baptism candidates to head out. We're going get to you, get you ready to go. But here's the good news. <clears throat> you don't have to be awesome to be used by God because God is awesome. Amen. You don't have to know everything to be used by God because God knows everything. It's okay if you're inexperienced because God is not. You don't have to turn in a resume. Isn't that good news? You don't have to submit a resume to see whether or not you are qualified or have the experience that God is looking for in order to be used by him. You can come to God completely inexperienced. You can come to God with nothing on your resume, but if you are willing to be used by God, he'll say, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I don't care about the experience because God is going to use you in powerful, powerful ways. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord, here am I, use me. And you may think, well, what if I look silly? What if I try something and look silly? You may be thinking, what if I I pray for my lunch at school? And I look silly and people laugh at me. What if I tell one of my friends about Jesus and people laugh at me and I look silly? What if I share about Jesus to a coworker? What if I ask one of my friends at work if I can pray for them and I put my hand on them right there? Wouldn't I look silly? Maybe. Maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe. But you would be in good company because oftentimes... When we start, we don't always do it the right way. Sometimes we, sometimes we try new things, and sometimes we look silly at first. But when we pursue Jesus, it doesn't matter how silly we are at the beginning, we are basing our life on unshakable things, and God will see us through. When I held Abram for the first time, I looked silly. When I tried riding Titus's ripstick, his little, like, it's, it's, um, it's, like a skateboard for people who are crazy is, is what it is. And I tried riding that for the first time. I, I looked silly at first, then I got a little bit better. And then one day over here in the gym, um, Pastor RJ was up on the ladder and all the other pastors were working and I was riding the ripstick. I should have been working, but when you only have to work one day a week, you know, I mean, that's a, so, 
So I was riding the ripstick around, and I was chasing one of my girls, and it slipped out from under me, and I did this whole fly up in the air and land flat on my back. I felt like I would broke myself in two, and I couldn't breathe. I thought I had died, but I got back up, and I was sore for a good two or three weeks, but I got back on that ripstick again. Not good enough to ride it up here in front of you, but I got back on. I got back on. I looked silly when I preached the very first time. I remember I preached on Gideon. Man, and I preached awesome. And you know how the people in the crowd responded? Just like this. They didn't. They just stared at me. But when you start by honoring God, it secures an unshakable beginning. You're not too small. You're not too inexperienced. And I want to say something else. And this may be for mostly the adults in the room. You're not too late to be used by God. You're not too late. Think about David one more time. He was the last one to the party when the prophet showed up. But he wasn't too late to be called by God. Scripture also tells us that Goliath had came down and he challenged the Israelites 40 days in a row. That means that David was over a month late to the battlefield that would define his life, but he wasn't too late to be used by God. There's some of you here today and you feel like it's too late. It's too late to go back to school. It's too late to change your life. It's too late to um, um, deal or, or, or fix those families in relationship. It's too late to make a difference. But you have to know something this morning. It's not too late to be used by God. It's just not. If you're here and your starting point happens to be five, congratulations, you're not too small. If you're here and your starting point happens to be 85, good, congratulations, because you're not too late. As long as you start with Jesus, as long as you start with Jesus, he is your unshakable beginning. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.